Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But that's what was behind all the 400 false prophets being 100% convinced 100% wrong that King Ahab could conquer Syria. I mean, we thought it was just a coincidence that all 400 prophets agreed King Ahab was gonna attack and succeed over Syria. We have no idea. We have no idea how much heaven is involved in what's happening here on earth. I mean, what's really being communicated to us in this scene that I'm just telling you about is Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, we think we're just struggling with this person or that person, or this obstacle or that obstacle, or this health condition or that health condition, when in reality, there's a whole unseen world of spiritual forces at play. Now, maybe there was a similar scene in heaven, I don't know, where God said to the hosts of heaven, we got a problem here, because Ruth really doesn't wanna get married, and she just wants to stay with Naomi. So who has a plan for, to get Ruth to marry Boaz? I, mean, I don't know, maybe one after the other made their proposals to God and finally one spirit stood up and said, I got it, God. I'm gonna cause Naomi to order Ruth to sneak into the men's dorm at night and wake up Boaz and ask him to be the kinsman redeemer and marry him. I don't know, maybe God said, that's great. You got the job, go for it. So reluctantly, Ruth complies with Naomi's directions. She sneaks into the winnowing floor at night where the men were, and she waits for Boaz to fall asleep, and then she startles him half to death. <laughs> and Ruth says to Boaz, what she said to him, caused him to not rest until he finished the matter, because then there was a problem with the other kinsman redeemer. But the issue here is that Boaz was anxious about this, and he was not gonna rest until he finished the matter during the day. He was a man of action. Boaz was not passive. Passivity is a great problem today. We are living in an age of passivity. We are living in a world of whatever, and passivity causes laziness, it causes slothfulness, and that feeds on fear. And that's what Proverbs 22, 13, Proverbs 20, 13 says, the slothful man saith, there's a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. That's a description of a person who plays it too safe, who plays it so safe, he never takes any risks. And because he, he never goes anywhere. Fear can be so gripping that it enters into the realm of the irrational. I don't wanna go outside, there's lions out there, don't you know? I could probably get you afraid tonight to walk out that door, you don't wanna go out that door. Right down on Woodside North, there's lions out there. All right, now, I like so much the speaker at the last Christmas Under the Stars. He made a great distinction by questions, two questions. He said, okay, here's a fearful per person, he asked this question, here's a courageous person, he asked this question. You know what the fearful person asked the question of? Is it over yet? 
That's a fearful person. Is it over yet? What's a courageous person? Ask the question, what's next? What's next? The fearful person, oh, he didn't put it quite the way, but anyway, fearful person says, boy, that was pretty rough. I got pretty bruised up. All I wanna know is, is it over yet? I'm not gonna do that again. No more risks for me in life. Whereas the courageous person says, that was challenging. That was adventuresome. That was fun. What's next? Well, when Naomi said to Ruth, the man will not be in rest until he had finished the thing this day, Naomi was saying that Boaz was not passive. Boaz was not a whatever person. He was not a whatever type of person. You know, Boaz was not going the street down the street of whatever because the street of whatever leads to the house of never. And that was not Boaz. So when Naomi says about Boaz in verse 18, the man will not be in rest until they have finished the thing this day, she's telling Ruth Boaz is driven by a sense of urgency. She's telling Ruth Boaz is gonna be anxious over that. She's telling Ruth Boaz has a holy anxiety, and that's the title of the message. Holy anxiety, holy anxiety. There are certain things that people should be anxious over. Every man should be anxious and should be driven by a sense of urgency when it comes to personal salvation. It's a good thing to feel anxious and to have a sense of urgency over the problem of unforgiven sins, that's a problem. Over the problem of the approaching wrath of God, that's a problem. Over the problem of the nearness of the end of life and knowing that after life, you're gonna face judgment after death, that's a problem. The problem of the imminent entrance into eternity. Not so much the death part, it's what's after, the entrance into eternity. And that anxiety of not being at rest is designed to drive a person to action. And God describes the problem that should make him anxious. There's holy anxiety in the action he should take. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse six, Isaiah 64, six describes problems that should drive a man to anxiety. Well, you know, what's the problem, first problem? But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, and there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold. I want you to really think about that word, take hold. It's a Hebrew word. It's a very interesting Hebrew word, chazak, and it means to be strong and to conquer. It's a warfare word. There's no one that stirs himself up to take hold, chazak, of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. So the first problem that should cause a holy anxiety we are all as an unclean thing. When it says we are all, it means all. It means all of us. It means there's not one person who is not defiled and dirty inside. That's a problem. And that should make a person like Boaz in verse 18. The man will not be in rest. And the second problem is all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. When it says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, that means there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up. When we try to do good works to fix the problem of our uncleanness, we only make it worse because what we say, well, that was a really righteous act on my part, God says, that's filthy rag. So we cannot do anything by ourselves to fix the problem of our uncleanness. And Jeremiah said this. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 2.22. Jeremiah 2.22 for though thou wash thee with nitre, that's like really strong soap. Though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me. It's stained. You can't get rid of it. Saith the Lord God. That should cause a holy anxiety. 
That should cause an anxiety. That should make a person, like verse 18, the man will not be in rest. And then the third problem is, we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That means that our sins, that sins are the cause of being blown away from God, right into hell, at judgment, like it says in the first psalm, the very first psalm in fourth verse, Psalm 1-4, says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So these problems for man are that he has sinned, he has become unclean inside, he cannot do any good works or righteousness to fix the uncleanness, and at judgment, he's gonna fall. Now, that should develop a holy anxiety and make him like the person described in verse 18. The man will not be in rest. He's gotta do something, whereas to do nothing, that's the ultimate problem. And God describes that problem of being passive and doing nothing in the seventh verse of Isaiah 64, seven. Isaiah 64, seven, there is none that calleth upon thy name and stirs himself up to take hold of thee. Stirs himself up to take hold of thee. These problems should generate a holy anxiety. Man can do something about it. It's not foreordained, predestined, or whatever kind of word you wanna say as to who's gonna be saved. This is on the line. And God says people need to stir themselves up, take hold of thee. These problems should generate a holy anxiety that make the man to be like verse 18, the man will not be in rest. Drive him to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, relying on the promise of Romans 10, 13. The promise of Romans 10, 13 is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, those fears should drive a person to call out, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. So God looks for that holy anxiety that should scare him about his doomed state and drive him to stir up himself and take hold of God and be the man of verse 18, the man will not be in rest. When it says take hold, it's using that word, like I said, chazak, seize, be strong, conquer. It's a warfare word that God's using here for a person who has this holy anxiety of not being saved from his sins. Holy anxiety comes from not having peace with God. Not having peace with God. That verse 18, it should be the verse 18, the man will not be in rest. God says what, he, what to do. He said in Isaiah 27.5, Isaiah 27.5 says, or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. See, God says that the person who's not at peace with God needs to take hold of the strength of God. Again, that word chazak, he needs to fight to take hold of the strength of God so that he can make peace with God. Holy anxiety over not being saved, that's a good thing, and that should drive to an immediate action referred to in 2 Corinthians 6.2. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, for he saith, I've heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation, have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, when it says those words twice, now, it means it's really serious. It means now. It means now. Anybody in this room who has not made peace with God, and you know in your heart of hearts, you've been playing, you've been acting, maybe you play acting, but you know you really don't have peace with God. God says, fix it now. Fix it today. Don't be passive. Holy anxiety, and it's described in verse 18, the man will not be in rest. It's a good anxiety. That anxiety should not be blocked. It should not be shut out by the mind. There should not be chemicals given. When a person is anxious, two chemicals 
are made in the brain called neurotransmitters. One is called dopamine, the other is called serotonin. And there's an epidemic of anxiety in our country. And some of that anxiety is holy anxiety, it's good. But all the doctors, they don't recognize holy anxiety, which is why one in six people are taking antipsychotic drugs, chemical straitjackets like Prozac and Seroquel and, and Ablify and, and Respiridone or Respiridol, which alone, that one alone, Johnson Johnson's drug has $5 billion in sales. And what these, many of these drugs do, they block the actions of dopamine and serotonin by blocking the receptors for them, which means they induce a chemical passivity. I mean, the treatment for holy anxiety is making peace with God. But if one in six people in the US are taking antipsychotic drugs for all their lives, it's not like, you know, you take this temporarily, then we'll get you off it. No, all their lives. And they're blocking these receptors that cause the anxiety. These drugs induce a state of chemical passivity. These drugs block the holy anxiety. Drugs block holy anxiety from being lost, holy anxiety from, from not having peace with God. That's not something to be passive over. When a person feels holy anxiety over being separated from God, he's gonna fight to search for God. He's gonna fight to find God. You know, I want you to think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, he felt a holy anxiety before he died, and that drove him to seek the Lord and ask the Lord in his last moments of life, he was saved. In his last moments of life, heaven's door was opened up to him. What if he were given Ativan? What if he were given Ativan for his anxiety, which is typical here, typical here for people who are dying? What if he were given Ativan? See, it's a holy anxiety, which is a good thing to feel afraid over. It's good to feel afraid over Isaiah 59.2. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's a holy anxiety to fear being separated from God. It's a holy anxiety to fear Hosea 5.5, 5. Hosea 5.5, 5. I will go, God says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and they seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. That's a good thing to feel anxious over, till they acknowledge their offense, that's man's job. And seek my face, that's man's job. Till they fight, till they seek my face, that's man's job, to find the face of God. Holy anxiety drives a person to fight in search of God. It drives a person to fight to find God. And that's why God says, you do fight in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek, and that's the word bakash, you're gonna fight, you're gonna fight. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. There's a whole, now, those, that's a holy anxiety, and I've been talking about the lost and the unsaved there. And so, okay, fine, we're gonna put that off to one side now. Now we're gonna talk about a holy anxiety for believers. There is a holy anxiety for believers. It's a holy anxiety, and you can see it in Ezekiel 22.30, Ezekiel 22.30, where God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, and I found none. And then Isaiah 59.16, Isaiah 59.16, God says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor Therefore, his arm brought salvation. See, God is very concerned. 
over the sinful state of our world and over the fact that sinners are going into the destruction of hell. And God wants us to stop. He wants us to take an active role in stopping sinners from going and being destroyed in hell. That's, he wants us to do that. And God's call to us is be a hedge, be a gap, Stand in the gap, stand in the hedge between an angry God and a sinful man. That's the work of intercession. And God is looking for people who will take him seriously over this matter of intercession. What does it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean to be an intercessor? When it says to stand in the gap, it means stand in between God and a particular sinner and to plead for that sinner. It means for us to confess the sins of that sinner. And to say that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be there too. Confessing the sins of others is the work of an intercessor. Daniel was an intercessor. Think about Daniel. He was a man who was, looks not sterling. He's going, he's opening his window, he's praying, he's getting thrown in the lion's den for it. Sterling. But Daniel, in chapter nine, Daniel chapter nine, verse five, he says, we, including himself, have sinned and have committed iniquity and done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from thy precepts from thy judgments. Daniel 9, that was Daniel 9, verse 5. Now in verse 8, Daniel 9, 8. O Lord, to us, to us, he's including himself, belongs confusion of face to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. In verse 11, Daniel 9, 11, Yea, all Israel have transgressed the law, even by departing that they might obey thy voice. Therefore, curse is poured out upon us in the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against thee. In verse 15, Daniel 9, 15, Now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, has gotten thee a renown as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. He's saying himself. He's including himself. That's intercession. Intercession is confessing. We see Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he's doing the same thing. Oh, Jeremiah, he's all throughout the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter three, verse 25, 325, he says, we lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. And Jeremiah 8, 14, 8, 14, is he, he says, again, he says, we have sinned against the Lord. Jeremiah 14, 7, 14, 7, he says, though our iniquities testify against us, he says, our backlightings are many, for we have sinned against thee. Jeremiah 14, 20, we acknowledge, O Lord, 14, 20, we acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against thee. And then he writes a whole book called Lamentation. Who writes a book called Sorrows? You know, but that's what he does. He writes a whole book called Lamentations in chapter five, verse seven, Lamentations five, seven. Our fathers have sinned and are not. We have borne their iniquities. And the next, Lamentations five sixteen, five sixteen. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us, we have sinned. Isaiah does the same thing. Isaiah, as we already said, in that chapter 64 is when he really gets into it. He says, we have sinned. He's talking about that. And King David he says in Psalm 106, verse six, we have sinned, our fathers, we've done, we committed iniquity, we've done wickedly. Nehemiah, he was big on this. Nehemiah chapter one, verse six, Nehemiah 1, six, he says, I'll confess the sins of the children of Israel. We have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. I mean, what would it be like if we were to narrow in on a lost person and we were to confess the sins of our friends? And that's what this intercessor does. He confesses the sin. And the intercessor, here's what the intercessor does not do. 
The intercessor does not say, I thank thee, O God, that I'm not like him. He's really made a mess of his life, but not me. See, that's the opposite of the heart of an intercessor. That's the Pharisee in Luke 18, 11. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, ah, even this publican. See, when he says, I am not, he has no compassion. When he says, this publican, he distances himself from him. When he says, extortioners, unjust, adulterer, he says, that's not me. When he says, this publican, he doesn't bring him into his heart, and he, so he's just praying with himself. No, the heart of a true intercessor, the heart of a true intercessor, you see that in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is like a true intercessor. It says in Luke 10, 33, Luke 10, 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where this man was who was all beaten, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. He didn't just look at him and say, but he went, he did something, and he bound up his wound, and he poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And they, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wound. He sought his healing, what he could do, and then he put him on a beast, his own beast, so he identifies with him. He doesn't say, oh, no, get away from me. He doesn't do that. And he brings him to a place where someone else who he knew could and would take care of him. An intercessor sees in his own heart the kernel of every sin that he sees in others, including homosexuality. And the Bible says about each one of us, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There's not one that doeth good, no, not one. And that describes all. And families especially, they need to unite in this goal of seeking the spiritual healing of the lost. You know, it'll heal divisions in the family. One time there was this boat, it was a merchant marine ship, and they had a cargo and they were traveling down in the ocean and there were two sailors, and they were on the deck of the front of the deck of the boat there, and they were really duking it out. They were fighting with each other. They were fist fighting on the deck of the boat. And all of a sudden, another sailor fell into the water, and the captain yells out, man overboard. And so those two sailors who were fighting with each other, they dove into the water together, and they rescued the man, and they were now rescuing a man. Some families are like the two sailors on the deck of the ship. They're fighting with each other, but because they, they don't have the goal. They don't hear the captain of the universe saying, man overboard. Board. Go rescue him, he's perishing. So there's a good anxiety, there's a holy anxiety of the intercessor, and that's really described in verse 18, the man will not be in rest. And we can see this good restlessness, this holy restlessness, this holy anxiety, when you look at Paul in Romans chapter nine, verse one. We just sang, come Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel, who lies here in lowly state. Okay, see, in Romans 9.1, Romans 9.1, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know, when a person says something like that, I mean, really, when a person says he's got great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart, then you know what? Most people, the doctors say, you need to go see the psychologist right now. I'll make the appointment. He'll give you a drug. No, but that's a description of a deep, restless, holy anxiety. It's a holy anxiety of the intercessor. When a person says, I could wish that I went to hell if they could go to heaven, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, 
That's a description of a deep, restless anxiety, a holy anxiety of the intercessor. That's a holy anxiety because it drives that person, as it did Paul in the next chapter, chapter 10, verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 